Mark Cuban. Going against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them, and thanks for having me on. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett. It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And your preparation shows to you. Tim Howard. Well, I appreciate you saying I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Just to name a few. Let's Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio, presented by Fiverr. Check out Fiverr.com. That's F-I-V-E-R-R.com. Today, you'll receive 10% off your first order by using my code SBR. Fiverr is the place to go to find freelancers, whether it's podcast editing, photography, graphic design, Anything you need, Fiverr is the place to go, and especially right now when we're all stuck in our homes and we need trusted freelance resources that we can find, and uh, it's just a great tool. So Fiverr.com. I'm joined via phone by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how you hanging in there? Doing good, man. Another week in the home studio here, just uh, plowing through stuff, and it's like the new normal now, right? Yeah, it kind of is. And I think it's going to be this way for a while. And, you know, a reminder, I say this every show, but stay home, stay safe, wash your hands, keep your distance. You know, I know it's hard for a lot of people. Um, and we certainly miss the interaction with people person to person. But, you know, this is an unprecedented time right now. So we've got to stay home. Um, we're going to bring some great guests to you on the show this week. They may not be recognizable names to you, but when you hear what they do and you hear their tangible takeaways, I promise you they're going to have great advice for your business and some good tips that you can use starting as soon as you listen to our show today. Uh, right off the bat, Blake Lawrence, who is the co-founder and CEO of Open Doors, former NCAA football player at the University of Nebraska. Open Doors is really doing some great stuff with helping athlete partners connect with sponsor brands and sports properties, and they work with the NFL Players Association, the Major League Baseball Players Association. Great tool to help athletes connect with brands on social media. They're also doing some really innovative stuff in the name, image, and likeness space. So we'll talk to Blake Lawrence. Also, Veda Manager. I have known Veda for many, many years. I used to do consulting for Nike, and Veda was part of the leadership team at Nike. He's a crisis PR expert, also a corporate strategist. When Nike was going through some of their crises in the 90s and early 2000s, Veda was there to help them manage through that. He's also the board chair for Valvoline right now. So uh, he is going through a lot of stuff right now with his clients and has some really good advice on the corporate strategies and crisis PR front for you on our show today. Griggs, the breaking news today is that the Summer Olympics in Tokyo have been postponed. I think this was a formality. Canada, Australia, other countries had started to pull out of the 2020 games, but it looks like they will take place sometime on or before the summer of 2021. This could be a $28 billion loss to Tokyo. Um, and a lot of people are going to lose money on this, but this was the right thing to do, Griggs. 
Oh yeah, totally agree. Uh, I saw it come in as soon as nations start pulling out. Obviously, you can't hold the Olympics with half the countries, especially big ones like Canada and stuff. And you know, I think, like you said, it's, it was a formality; it had to happen. The Olympics, there's so much training involved and so much prep involved. It's not something you can just throw together. You know, all of a sudden, if the bands are lifted, all of a sudden you have athletes that are trained and ready to go. So it was the thing to do, and I'm I'm glad they came through with it. So, again, so many layers. We had John Orand from Sports Business Journal on a few weeks ago. We talked about how would this impact NBC because they've paid so much money and tie up so much of their programming around the Olympics, both on TV and digitally, and now this isn't going to take place, so they're going to have to pivot and figure some things out. According to USA Today, the IOC has paid insurance premiums north of $12 million in both 2016 and 2018 to protect against the possible disruption of the Olympics. They have $2 billion in reserve in the most recent annual report, which was released last summer. So I think the IOC is protected against this to some degree. You know, we've talked about this with March Madness and the NCAA and, you know, some of these clauses, Griggs, have force majeures in them for pandemics and, and wars and, and things like that. Um, but like you said, so many people, whether it's broadcast partners, athletes, sponsors, it, it's going to have a widespread impact. And now everyone's going to have to pivot to next summer, 2021 in Tokyo. So what a mess. But again, absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah. And like you said, it's kind of interesting with this stuff that we've talked about, like with John, like you mentioned about all these contracts and these, you know, things you don't ever talk about are coming to the surface, you know, about, you know, are they covered for this? Are they covered for this? So there's a lot of business and a lot of behind the scenes stuff that I think most people never hear about. And you're starting to hear about it with these big cancellations. Yeah. Um, the other thing with this too, is that really the Olympics was the last big event or entity to cancel. I mean, if you look at all the leagues have shut down around the world, the masters, uh, you know, car races, like really everything had shut down. And it seemed like the IOC was just waiting and waiting and waiting. And then, you know, we saw in the last few days, countries started to pull out. And I think once that started happening, the IOC realized, like, even if we have these in the summer of 2020, we may have no countries there. And the countries that are there, a lot of their athletes may boycott. Yeah, and it just doesn't work. I mean, like you, like, like you just said, it's when you have half the people there, half the countries there, how is it a true Olympic Games, a world game, a world event when, you know, half the world is missing? It just doesn't work. The other thing that I kind of thought of here is let's say, you know, in a, in a really positive scenario, let's say June or July, sports is back and you're going to have MLB, you're going to have NBA, you're going to have NFL starting to warm up, college football. Because of all of the sports that have been delayed taking place in that July 24th to August 8th, I believe, time frame, the Olympics, I know it's a big deal, but I think there would have been less eyeballs on it than normal because everyone else would have been paying attention to the return of the other sports. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do agree with that. And I was thinking about that too. Like if it all came back, like you were mentioning at the same time, how does it get, yeah, how does it get covered, A, and then how do you get people's eyes on it? Because there's so much other stuff coming back. So yeah, it's a good point to think about. Well, and just, I mean, imagine being, you know, one of these networks and when the sports return, how do you, how do you have enough time on the program schedule to like slot them all in? I mean, it, it's going to be crazy. Like what if you're a partner, let's say you're ESPN 
and you've got Major League Baseball and you've got the NBA and games are coming back and they've been postponed. And, you know, now you've got to cover these things. Just the scheduling alone is going to be crazy. And that's why, I don't know, I don't want to be a pessimist here, but I just wonder, like, at what point do some of these seasons get wiped? Because you've got stadium issues, you've got broadcast issues. Uh, you know, do you play games in front of fans? Do you not? But, you know, I think we're far away from that conversation still of, of sports returning. I think we're still, you know, really in the early stages of people planning for this pandemic, sheltering in place, staying home. And, uh, you know, I don't think we're going to see sports for a while, Griggs. Yeah. And you wonder, like, like you were saying with how are they going to cover the broadcasting of it? And I know some of these networks like ESPN obviously has, you know, ESPN two and three and you and all that and FS one, FS two, but maybe more streaming too. And they're pushing certain games that aren't maybe a huge draw to Twitter, to, you know, live video, to stuff like that. It'll be interesting to see because there's going to be so much fallout from this when it is cleared. What happens with sports and everything moving forward? Uh, a few other things. One, uh, also somewhat breaking news. It's reported by Adam Schefter that Cam Newton is going to be released by the Carolina Panthers. So Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, Andy Dalton, a few of the names on the NFL quarterback market. If you miss my pod on Friday with Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports, he does a great job covering the NFL. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. He had some really good insight about uh, the NFL market right now. And, you know, we even talked about uh, construction at the stadiums in Las Vegas and Los Angeles and how those may be impacted by construction shutdown as we tell people to shelter in place. But Greg's Cam Newton on the move. You know, he's only been in Carolina. It'll be interesting to see where he winds up. You know, this seems like it's been in the works forever. I mean, he, with his injuries the last couple seasons and, you know, kind of off the field stuff and interesting vibe with the community of Carolina. I feel like this is, this was bound to happen. So it's not surprising to me at all to see Cam move. And like you said, a couple other big names on the move too. So NFL season once again, and especially quarterbacks, it'll be interesting to see where uh, some of these guys, the big names land. All right. Before we get to our two great guests, we'll end on this. Um, I've been watching a lot of the sports from yesteryear and I spent some time this weekend watching CBS's re-airing of some of the great NCAA tournament games. And, you know, there's some really good ones. The, the Kentucky Duke game with the Leitner turnaround, you know, I remember that. That's arguably the greatest or most memorable shot in college basketball history. But the game that I loved watching the most, Griggs, was, I believe it was the 1982 NCAA final between Georgetown and North Carolina. You had freshman Pat Ewing wearing the t-shirt underneath his jersey. John Thompson was the coach. You had Dean Smith coaching UNC and James Worthy, a young Michael Jordan who, you know, I watched that game and as people have said for years, the best defense ever played on Michael Jordan was Dean Smith's offense at North Carolina because you know, they, they played a team oriented brand of basketball. So Jordan really didn't get to showcase what he was until he went to the NBA. Sam Perkins, but it was just, it was really cool to watch those. And then the way that CBS did them is they started with like 81 or 82, 83. And then, you know, they had the 2019. So you could see the progression of the broadcast quality. You could see the progression of the venues and how many people were at these games and the growth of the tournament. But it was really fascinating for me to go back and watch some of those games. That 82 uh, Carolina-Georgetown game, I haven't watched since I was a kid. So it was really fun to go back and watch that. 
I agree. I've been watching some of the old stuff too. And that game is like an all, I mean, you look at the, the players on the, both those teams. It's like an all-star game. <laughs> yeah. It's a hall of fame game everywhere. Sleepy Floyd. I mean, you know, some really good players in that game. I love too that, like you mentioned the old broadcast. It's so funny. They never showed the score near, like now you have the score the whole time. It's like you never knew what the score was in those games. That's very true. Yeah. And just like their headsets and, you know, the table signage was like a big banner draped over the table. It wasn't digital like it is now. Um, you know, that 82 game, the thing that struck me as soon as the game started, Griggs, there's no three point line. So there's no three point line. Like imagine basketball today without a three point line. Steph Curry wow. wouldn't be what he is. Clay Thompson wouldn't be what he is. Reggie Miller, Ray Allen, like so many games. So another game I watched was that game six of the, I can't even remember what year it was, 2015 NBA Finals Heat Spurs, where Ray Allen makes that shot to tie the game, the three. You know, Chris Bosh gets the rebound and kicks it out to Ray Allen. If there's no three-point line, you know, they don't they don't tie that game. It's a two-point shot. And uh it's a totally different outcome. The Spurs win the title. So, you know, yeah. the three-point shot has impacted so many things. So to go back and watch, like, the 82 North Carolina Georgetown game and then the 83 game they showed was the Houston North Carolina State game. Still no three point line, I don't think. So it, it really did impact a lot of things, but, uh, it's been fun to go back and watch. Did you watch any of ESPN, the Ocho when they turned on that? I mean, people have joked about the Ocho for a long time going back to, uh, the movie Dodgeball. But, you know, they're, they're running just the weirdest things. Uh, and I guess it'll be interesting to see what the numbers are on this stuff. I think they'll be high just because there's nothing else to watch other than old stuff. It's not like you're competing against current games, but I don't think you could run that if you're competing against live sports. I think the live sports would beat that every time, but who knows? You know, we've talked a lot about how things might change coming out of this. And maybe some networks will say, instead of paying a bazillion dollars for live sports, I'm just going to roll, you know, roll out old stuff and, and maybe it'll get just as good of a rating. It sure could. And that uh, ESPN Ocho was pretty funny. I watched, I think like a mini putt golf thing. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. It just feels like dodgeball, but I, it's, it gives you a good laugh and it's something, something just different to watch. So, Hey, I'm down. Anything else that you're watching that you've, uh, you know, whether it's sports or non-sports. Yeah, my wife and I, we're big, uh, World Cup soccer. So FS1's been showing some of the old World Cup finals. So we watched the women's, women's final from a couple years ago. And then we watched the Croatia final against France. And that was fun. Just watching old, uh, soccer. We, we sat there and watched it on Sunday most of the day. Yeah. There have been some good women's final four games for basketball as well. Women's soccer. Um, lots of good stuff that I, you know, look forward to watching with my daughter. And then, yeah, we're, we're binging some shows on Hulu, on HBO. Some Disney Plus. So, uh, there's a lot to watch as we're sheltering in place. And again, a reminder, stay at home, wash your hands. This will pass at some point. We need to be safe. We need to not infect anyone else. So just stay home. All right. Coming up next, Blake Lawrence. He is the co-founder and CEO of Open Doors. He is one of the foremost experts on social media and how athletes should be using social media, both college and pro. You're going to want to listen to this conversation. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Finding the right freelancers who you can trust is a critical component for many businesses, especially small businesses like mine. As the founder and CEO of Sports Business Radio and the Sports PR Summit, 
I hire freelancers exclusively. Right now, with the current state of the world, it's more important than ever to be able to communicate with freelancers online in a trusted digital marketplace. My go-to resource for hiring freelancers is Fiverr. Fiverr connects businesses like mine with freelancers who offer hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, film editing, photography, podcast editing, and more. Without the ability to meet in person, the digital services marketplace has never been more important than it is right now. I love the fact that I can search by service, deadline, price, and reviews. I know exactly what I'm paying for up front. No negotiating needed, and I am getting a freelancer that I can trust to get the job done. That's critical for me right now. Take five and check out Fiverr.com. You'll receive 10% off your first order by using my code SBR. It's so easy. Don't waste any more time. Get the service you deserve by going to Fiverr.com. That's F-I-V-E-R-R.com. Code SBR. Fiverr. It starts here. My guest is Blake Lawrence. He's the co-founder and CEO of Open Doors. He's a former NCAA football player at the University of Nebraska. You can find him on Twitter at Blake underscore Lawrence. And you can find Open Doors on Twitter at Open D-O-R-S-E. They're a proud partner of Sports Business Radio and the Sports PR Summit. Blake, how are you? Brian, I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining us during these uh, unprecedented times. I know you're joining me from New York. Um, we always start with a founder story with the people that we have on. So you played football at the University of Nebraska. Tell us the idea of how Open Doors came to be. Well, Open Doors uh, is – I'll tell you where we are today, then I'll take you all the way back okay, great. to the dorm room. Um, so Open Doors, we're an athlete marketing platform. Uh, more than 12,000 athletes around the world use our technology every day to manage their relationships with content partners and commercial partners. So content partners like the team they play for, the league they play in, uh, their alma mater, or if they're a student athlete, their current university – so those are their content partners that are helping them get access to photos and videos. Then commercial partners like sponsors and advertisers and licensees like Pepsi and uh, EA Sports, Panini, those types. And, and they're using Open Doors to uh, coordinate sponsored campaigns with athletes. So we've been in this market for, for dang near a decade. Um, and I'll take you all the way back, Brian. It's been uh, fun to see how you go from one athlete to 12,000 and, you know, you mentioned I, I played football in Nebraska and I my career was cut short. I was a starting linebacker one day and uh, the next day I was, was told I could never play football again. I'd suffered four concussions and hmm. a little over a year. And, you know, most most two nasty stories end like that. Right. In terms of uh, you, you never quite know when you're going to play your last game in the last moment. And. You know, at the time, I was invested in, in using social media to build a little audience. I was using this thing called Twitter, first guy in the team to, to be tweeting. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I had built up a following. Almost a 1,000, uh, you know, fans in the Nebraska market and community have been following me. So I thought, you know, I can't play in front of these fans anymore. But if I can entertain them on my Twitter feed, then I'm going to go with that. So uh started to really tweak and understand how to grow a social media following i got some direct messages from some business owners in the, the area said hey could you help my business get to a thousand followers uh and I, I heard this enough that audi my business partner and i we started a social media agency pretty much out of our dorm room at nebraska um and had to convince my mom that you know blogging tweeting and facebooking for businesses in the, in the midwest <laughs> uh was a real job you know um and 
you know, that, that grew from just the two of us and an idea to 25 employees and, and we uh, sold it in 2014 so we could focus on open doors. Um, and because this, this little thing called open doors, which is, uh, grown to where it is today started from trying to solve a problem for a, a friend of mine. Um, so much like we're helping businesses, Brian, we had, uh, one of my best friends, Prince of Mukamara got drafted to the New York Giants in the first round of the 2011 draft. And he said, Hey, you're helping these business owners. Can you help me with my social media? And so, uh, we said, sure thing. So we started to create photos and videos and different things that we knew that would engage his audience. And we would send them to him, text it, email it, direct message him, um, and, and have him post it himself. And, uh, imagine asking a, an athlete that's balancing workouts and being a rookie and he's got a, a girlfriend he's chasing around, which will eventually become his wife. And, you know, life is busy for everybody, uh, especially professional athletes have a different type of demand on the time. Prince would never post the stuff we sent him. I mean, it was like, uh, it, it was so dang frustrating. And I know that those that are in the PR world and working with athletes on a daily basis, uh, you know, the feeling that these are great guys. Uh, they've got great intentions. They want to help you, but sometimes they can't help themselves and, 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 uh, life gets busy. So we, you know, realizing that most athletes careers, uh, are more like mine. Uh, and you never know how long it's going to last. If Prince wasn't doing everything he could to capitalize on his time in the NFL, um, then I felt like I wasn't doing uh, the most I could for him. So became obsessed with how do we actually get him to share this content on social media, post this on Facebook, Twitter, you know, Instagram. And so we built a technology, you know, a simple thing where you could get a text message and simply uh, hit a green button or a red button, right? It's pretty easy. <laughs> as easy you know so easily an athlete can do it you know so easily prince can do it and uh so brian we we built this for him um this this little tool so he would actually publish and he went from sharing none of the content to 100 percent of it um and within a month we got a phone call from the nfl players association who asked us to fly to dc and talk about using the technology for every nfl player sponsor licensee and uh from that day this is all I've been doing is helping athletes understand the value that social media provides their personal brand, their name, image, and likeness rights, and then helping them do really two things, look good and make money. Um, and that's the story of open doors to, to fast forward to today. Again, that's from the dorm room to um, dealing with athletes from all, all levels of sports across the world. I love that story. And I love the fact that, you were an athlete yourself, so you can really put yourself in the shoes of the athletes you work with now. You understand the mindset, you understand their challenges and the upside for them if they use social media effectively. Blake, right now we're in such a unique time. Really, we've never been in a time like this in, in our country's history, our world's history. And a lot of people are forced to stay at home during this pandemic. But because of that, we're seeing athletes, sports properties, and sponsors take to social media more than we ever have. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit. And then some of the athletes, leagues, teams, brands that have stood out in your mind during this time. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I was on a call last week. We're, we're partners with the MLB Players Association and um, – there are so many creative ways that uh, these properties are thinking they can connect with their fans in a different way than they could when they're in the middle of the season. 
right? Right. So, I mean, we're discussing activation, Brian, gets of, of what if we had players film themselves, you know, time lapse, you know, completing a puzzle with their family. And <laughs> can you imagine? I mean, that concept. There's no way high. they would have done that before. Oh, man. <laughs> These guys don't slow down for a hot second during the season. And even in the off season, who's going to do that? But right now, it's one of the more relatable times in all of sports. Um, and athletes are in a position where they have to respect that, you know, they are a, a symbol of maybe escapism. Right. When you see an athlete on the television screen, it's usually when you're, you're ready to relax. And, and when you see them in your social media feed, you know, they can provide that same ability as well. So it really shines a light that athletes are at the center of sports and they always have been, always will be. But when you take away the sporting events themselves, what do you have left? Right. And, and a lot of fans are turning to athletes and athletes are turning to social media to keep those fans informed with what they're up to. And it's been really fun to see certain leagues and, and uh, certain athletes embrace it in different ways. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll mention some that have stood out to me. So, you know, I think Rex Chapman is just phenomenal and, and the, you know, a lot of people don't even know he used to play basketball at Kentucky, he played in the NBA. They just are like, wow, that guy's a really great Twitter feed. And he's so clever with either, you know, his thoughts or just reposting videos. Um, so he stood out to me. CJ McCollum has been great. JJ Reddick is doing more podcasts. Obviously, Tom Brady made his big announcement that he's leaving New England to go to the Tampa Bay Bucks. But the other thing is, too, is I've noticed how the NBA has had a lot of players filming video on their iPhones and giving out tips on thoroughly washing your hands. So, you know, I'm seeing like PSAs out there from athletes and teams and leagues because they have such big platforms that they're utilizing to remind people to stay at home and wash your hands. Yeah. Well, who would have thought that uh, hand washing is the number one endorsement? Right. right. No athletes, kidding. Right. No uh, kidding. Yeah. And, but th there's certain things that I would say that strange times are uh, always put industries in, uh, in perspective. It also allows, you know, folks to, to get creative. And I think there's going to be an evolution, um, of how athletes, uh, stand as, as pillars of certain parts of our society. Then also those that are raising, he said, Rex Chapman, I mean, what he's doing from, you know, he's built this platform, one of the best followers on all, all of social media, uh, but leveraging that to raise funds, you know, for something he cares about. Right. Um, so I think there's there's going to be you know, things like that. The other parts of it that we're encouraging athletes. I mean, we put together this whole list of um, tips and tricks for MLB players because they're uh, right now MLB players are the second uh, least active on social media and in, in the major sports leagues in the U.S. I mean, NHL players and we're partners with the NHL and, and trying to get that up too. I mean, they're they don't uh, engage much on social media. They're the lowest. Like they're the average. Uh, NHL player will share, I think it's two posts uh, a month on social media. The average MLB player is around four. Uh, and then NBA is, is in the teens, right? Almost 20 uh, posts per month on average. So you're, you're talking about these guys that are normally shying away from social, starting to embrace it. And uh, MLB players starting to show what their workouts look like when they're by themselves or with their, um, their buddies in the driveway playing catch. You saw Trevor Bauer. Hosts a, a, a Sandlot style baseball game down in Arizona um, just last weekend, and you know those are the things where again players have personalities, and and if they're using the, the platforms right, they can let them shine in these moments. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. What about some of the brands out there? Like, I don't know if this is a brand, but it's going to sound funny, but Sesame Street has been a really good follow during this time too, especially if you have kids, you know, they, they speak at the kids level about what's going on right now in a, in a way that kids can understand it. But are there some brands out there that you've noticed, Hey, they're doing a really good job during this time because Blake, you know, whether you're an airline, a hotel, uh, a show like Sesame Street, everyone is being impacted by this and you can't really just stay silent and say nothing. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's like, uh, again, outside of sports, you're seeing brands realize where they stand in, in culture and society. Um, and what I applaud are those that realize this is not a time to be opportunistic. It's a time to be supportive, um, and of your consumers, but also your team members, your employees. Uh, that's, there's a lot of, um, anxiety around the, the fact of, of how do we leverage our platforms not only to to inform our uh, consumers and our, our customers what's going on, but to inform our employees and their family members of what we're doing to uh, provide guidance and assistance. And, you know, that's something that uh, I think Nike did a good job with their message of uh, staying home and, you know, that no time like before where the whole stage is, the whole world is watching, right? Stay home. Right. Um, Guinness. Part of one pushed, team. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're all part of one team. And I think that then you see Guinness had a, a promotion uh, yesterday on social where it looks like a, a glass of Guinness, but it's a couch instead of the foam that you see on the top of the cup. And it, it's just about, you know, leveraging these platforms in a creative way to, to be a part of the conversation, but not try and turn this into a way to drive business, but just a way to to know your place in the world. And, and certain brands are embracing that in a good way. Yeah, even like Uber Eats. I mean, I don't want to give a plug here, but zero dollars for delivery right now. You know, like those are things that I, I think, and I've said this recently, I think we're going to remember at the end of this, the companies that did right by the consumer and by just did the right thing. And then the ones that tried to capitalize on this. Don't you agree? No, I, I do. I do agree that with that. And it's going to, a lot of marketers sitting around trying to figure out, uh, one, how do we weather this storm? Right. Because, right? you know, marketing advertising becomes one of the first things to, uh, limit. Um, and then other, so it's, it's somewhere about weathering and, and other ones are like, how do we prove value? So there's a really fine line there. Right. And, and same thing with public relations. I know that that's a, a large part of your viewership and the world of sports. And, and it's like when you don't have sporting events, what stories do you have? Right. And, and that is an interesting to think about, um, that you could stand on a stage, Brian, and say outside of the, the score, right. And the storyline of the game and the injuries and overcoming the defeats. What if you took away the game itself? And what is the role of a, a professional, you know, public relations or, you know, PR professional in sports? Uh, what's their role if the, if this, the games themselves are gone? And I think that's, I'll throw that back to you. You know, how, how do you see the PR community um, trying to, one, shed light on what matters, but two, prove the value of the position when the games themselves aren't going on? Well, it's interesting. Uh, Veda Manager, who used to be uh, part of the leadership team at Nike, is my other guest on the show this week, and we talked a lot about that. And if you're a PR person, you've got to be proactive. You've got to be strategic. 
I mean, you got to really put on your thinking cap right now. But as you said a few minutes ago, like we're getting to know the human side of a lot of these athletes, coaches, executives, um, and even someone like Mark Cuban, boy, you know, he's really been active on Twitter and sharing some ideas and connecting different people together. So, you know, I think it's really about being proactive with your athletes and your executives and your leadership and figuring out like, what's the right tone? What are the right stories to tell? How can we be a leader right now? Because lots of people are, are watching us, but it's not the time to sit back and just go, well, you know, let's see what requests come in and sit on the couch and, and not do anything. I think you, you've really got to get out there and, and be proactive. I don't know if you agree with that. No, I, I think so. I think that you do have to um, drum up those stories that uh, may have been on the shelf for a while, but it's uh, the personifying um, you know, the, the people behind sports. And I, right. I think there's – here's something that I, is, is fascinating to me um, – in times like this, because there's in the social and digital media realm, right, where I live um, every single day, right, is this comparison often between influencers. So, you know, the the mommy blogger, the fashion blogger, the, the fitness, you know, instructor that floods your, your social media feeds. Um, that is a new type of, of uh, pillar of influence in our society, you know, comparing influencers and creators to athletes. Right. And, and really, what are the differences between these two? And um, one of the things that I think is interesting is that uh, our connection to athletes, and I emphasize this, is rooted really deeply um, in, in their this personal connection to sports and where it plays a role in our society. And, you know, I ask this to you and, and to the listeners, you know, that influencer you follow, that if their content stopped, right, if you had the same situation where they could no longer create content they couldn't push you know their main form of connection which is you know creating funny videos or informative videos online if you took that away from them do you still seek them out do you still desire to understand where they're at what they're doing or is the content the only connection you have to that person right yeah and then then you ask that of, of an athlete where right now the content's gone i mean the games are gone and instead of fans leaning back and saying, well, I guess I'll wait till the games come back. They're leaning forward. They're leaning in and saying, okay, well, I, I still care about these people. Um, even if their main form of connection, which is the games themselves, if that's gone, I just think it speaks loudly about how athletes play a, a certain role in our, our culture and society. Um, that if you take away the platform, uh, they are still a, a tremendous part of our conversation and community and, uh, consumers look to them. And I think that's a, a pretty solid case study to be done in terms of what happens when you take the content away from an athlete versus a creator or influencer um, and what happens to their audience. I see the stats are showing that more people lean into athletes and, and that speaks loudly. No, I, I totally agree with you. I want to change topics and talk about something that Open Doors has really been leading the effort on and it's working with NCAA athletes on name, image and likeness. NIL as they call it. I know you guys launched a program with your alma mater, Nebraska recently, but maybe you can tell our audience a little bit about the work that Open Doors is doing in the name, image and likeness space. Yeah, so this is a you mentioned earlier, you know, I as a former student athlete, I mean that's the highest level I reached. Um I had a great experience as a student athlete at Nebraska, 
right? I mean, I was recruited to schools across the country, uh, went on several visits and, and just fell in love with Nebraska and uh, so thankful that I, I call that, that place home uh, for so many years. And I, this uh, solution, you know, thinking back 10 years ago, 13 years ago when I showed up in Nebraska, um, there was a, some idea that, hey, this is football and, and being a student athlete puts you in a position of influence on campus, right? Um, and, you know, I, again, talking about the path to open doors, really leaned into that myself and understanding how social media is a part of that. Um, but that student athlete experience um, is soon to shift in, in terms of what matters and, and how they can capitalize on it. You know, I was uh, really leveraging my time at Nebraska right after I was done at Nebraska to get uh customers for our social media agency. I mean, this is a student athlete, their name, image, and likeness right now already has tremendous value. Of course, they're just not able to capitalize on it. Um, but the story of the narrative is that, hey, when you're done, when you exhaust your eligibility, then you can do whatever you'd like with your name, image, and likeness. And I personally went through that process. I mean, I um, got my first customer through my social media account because I had invested in, you know, building up my NIL value on Twitter. Um, and, you know, those things are now soon to shift. Ten months from now, student athletes being able to receive compensation for use of their NIL. Um, you know, as Audie and I have spent the last 10 years working at the professional level, understanding how pro athletes leverage certain uh, methods to increase their name, image, and likeness value, uh, how they manage their NIL value, what type of compensation they can expect for NIL rights type compensation uh, or transactions i mean we took all that information and said well if the ncaa is ever to allow student athletes to receive compensation then it would be a dream to go back and help student athletes that were just like us not too long ago understand what they need to do to position themselves to win the moment that they are in the marketplace and available for these nil transactions uh and so when Mark Emmert back in October announced that the NCA had a formal stance and a timeline for changing name, image, likeness, compensation policies, um, less than a week after that, we had the chief of staff for Nebraska football in our offices and a, a, a whiteboard full of, of, uh, all of we all that we've learned. I mean, it, it was hours and hours of, of, okay, here is what we've seen at the next level. And, and how do we take all of this and package it up so that student athletes across the NCAA understand what's coming and can use the next 10 months um, or whatever timeline it is until these rule changes are in effect to get prepared so that they are marketable. So sponsors and licensees want to work with student athletes um, because there's some novelty that's going to bring a lot of value to NIL compensation, but the staying power of athletes and being able to command hundreds of millions of dollars in the, in the marketplace, you know, in, in collective, uh, if not billions of dollars, it's going to come down to how appealing they are in the marketplace. And, and we're in a favorable position to take what we've learned and, and again, go back to our roots, which is the student athlete experience and provide as much value as we can. So let's do a quick case study and, and I'm going to yeah. throw an athlete at you that, you know, not a football player, but I'm out in Oregon so I follow uh, Sabrina Ionescu on Twitter and Instagram, and she just got named College Basketball Player of the Year. 
And uh, she's just amazing. And she's probably going to get drafted with the number one pick by the New York Liberty. So now she's going to be in your neck of the woods, number one media market in the world. And she has 74,000 followers on Twitter right now. She has built this following on Twitter and Instagram, as I just said. Maybe you can explain like, okay, if let's go back a year and she came back for her final season how would you have worked with someone like her if let's imagine this is all, you know, NIL is all up and running and players can monetize it. How would you work with someone like her to maximize what she's doing? Yeah. So one of the things that uh, Sabrina has to her advantage, she, she is elite as they come in terms of athletes. You know, there's one thing that you can study every social media post of every athlete on every social platform um, to try and, decrypt what leads to uh more followers what leads to more engagement and there is science to it there's there's some art to it as well uh of if you post more you engage more you grow more uh sabrina's done a good job of embracing social media she does have an active channel um but no matter the formula in, in terms of activity leading to engagement and followers if you are an elite athlete people will find you and people will follow you Right. And there's an interesting part here when you talk about preparation is when you think of Sabrina, um, she stands to, to benefit. Imagine she's still on campus, right? And a student athlete. When somebody does search for you and they, they find you and they look to follow you, the resume of today's athletes is the first nine photos on their Instagram feed, right? And that tells your followers or future followers, what to expect when they engage, right? And if Sabrina is is maximizing her NIL value, she's not just performing at a high level on the court, but she's providing uh, her followers a reason to follow, right? And a connected uh, audience to who she is, what she stands for. So what this ready program that we've developed and, and if we're working with Oregon, it would be, you know, assessing where she is compared to all women's basketball players across the country in terms of her NIL value. We'd compare her to WNBA players. So she gets a grasp of if she's comparing herself to the best of the best, how does she stack up? And then that's going to reveal opportunities for growth uh, in terms of where she can be more active on social digital. And I, you hear me talking about NIL value and social media, like they're one and the same. Uh, that's because in, in this next generation, this next decade of uh, NCAA, uh, they are one and the same. Uh, we know at the professional level that every single deal starts with a, an analysis of their social media presence. I mean, that's the majority of what impacts the first deal and brand endorsements to the pro level today. So again, Sabrina, we would analyze where she's at on social show opportunities for growth and then really start to write a narrative of uh, what type of things that make her unique and what connects her with her audience in a different way and and creating a, a schedule basically of, of how to treat her social media handles as distribution channels for a message that will help connect her with more fans and ultimately more fans leads to an increase in nil value um, so the the program that we've built is really centered around you know, this assessment of where you're at, um, education on what matters and, and where you're going, and then uh, performance this is the final phase. And that's making sure that athletes have access to the tools they need to understand their value 
um, education to, to grow their value and ultimately the tools to uh, invest in NIL and, and manage their opportunities as they come forward. I know I've asked you this before when you've been on, but I'll ask again. Uh, for our listeners out there, give me the recipe, three things that make for a good social media post in your opinion. Oh boy. Uh, um, it's, I, I would say that if you understand your audience, you are ahead of the game, right? If you step, take a step back, any listener and say, if you got 10 followers, 10,000 followers or 10 million, uh, why are they following you? And what, what led them to you in the first place? And if you have an understanding of why your followers are following you, then you can provide them with the content that they're likely to engage with, right? So it's really an understanding of your audience. Um, and then it's an understanding of where you stand. This is kind of going back to the pandemic situation of you know, what role do you play in their lives? Uh, are you there to provide entertainment, to provide humor, to provide, uh, education insights? You know, so if you understand why they're following you and then what role you play in their lives, that can lead you to a, a place where now you you can narrow down what you want to post about. So somebody like Sabrina, uh, she is, uh, for a large group of her audience, she's a female basketball player. And people want to know, how did she get so damn good, right? So why not share some insights into uh, the routine that she goes into getting ready for a game, right? Um, but also she's a a female that has a story to tell. And it's not just about basketball. Um, we want to know what impact does she have in the community outside, you know, off the court. So sharing stories of, of her engaging in the community. And she's got this tie to uh, Kobe Bryant, right? And how does that you know, situation affect her on a daily basis? How is she recovering from it? So I think those are, again, putting Sabrina in the, in, in the box here and analyzing Um but all followers, if you understand who follows you and what purpose and what role you play in their lives, then you have a, a chance to put something in front of them that they're going to engage with. And if they engage with it, you have a, uh, you're going to feed the algorithm what the algorithm's looking for. And then you're going to, you know, see your, uh, your post show up in, in front of more faces. And ultimately that's going to lead to more followers. So, uh, I don't know if that's as direct as you want, but understand your audience uh, and what role you play in their lives. And you can put together posts that are going to help you engage them and grow your following. No, I love that. We've got a few minutes left. Uh, Open Doors recently launched a new app. How does it work? How do people get it? Tell us more about that. Boy, howdy. Uh, <laughs> Brian, I tell you what, man. I uh, For eight years, I, you could have heard me say, athletes don't use mobile apps. Athletes don't use mobile apps. <laughs> um, and for that reason, I mean, Open Doors, if you think about what we do, our whole business model comes down to an athlete anywhere on the planet getting an alert, tapping a link, and hitting a green button or a gray button, right? And that's what it comes down to. And that three taps, you know, tap, tap, I guess it's two taps, and you're done. And man, that is what makes, uh, open doors great. It's kind of what's made us, it's famous among athletes. It's so damn easy. It's hard to mess up. Um, so we've, we've focused on text message and mobile web, simple to approve. And, and now, uh, Instagram is where so many sports fans and so many athletes are really spending their time. Um, and for one reason or another, Instagram has not opened up their API to allow third parties to publish to Instagram 
automatically. It, it requires a manual process for every post that's published to Instagram. Uh, we fought tooth and nail to try and change that. And uh, truth of the matter is, it, it's probably going to stay that way. So this mobile app uh, is is built out of necessity to bring that as few taps as possible, that experience that athletes expect from Open Doors, to bring that to Instagram. So with the Instagram, uh, with Open Doors app on an athlete's phone, they get a text message, click the link. Uh, so they tap once. They can see a piece of content to post to Instagram. They tap uh, to approve it. It loads an Instagram. They tap to publish it. So it's three taps, not two. But that's the type of uh, efficiency that we know uh, athletes need to be effective in, in leveraging a platform. So uh, the mobile app sets us up in a big way to, to simplify publishing to Instagram. Um, again, that's where athletes are, are spending a lot of their time. It, it also puts us in position to, to add more features. We've got a, a smart media library where athletes are now able to browse photos, videos that their content partners are sharing with them, teams, leagues, athletic departments, um, really building up these libraries of every photo and video of an athlete's career. Um, so Open Doors really turns into this lifelong asset that they can uh, go back to and find photos and videos that uh, they have permission to share and help them continue to tell their story in different ways and different platforms. So the mobile app is a, a big milestone for us, one that I fought for a long time. But again, if you're going to help, going back to why we started in the first place, help athletes, um, then you have to understand how athletes work. And we wanted to build the simplest uh, way for them to use social at, at scale. And the mobile app is a key component of that. Well, congratulations on that. I just love everything that you're doing and, and how you guys are growing. We've known each other for a while and, you know, I just follow closely and, and see what you guys are doing and it gets better and better every month. Um, I want to end on this. I, I've been asking everyone who's been joining me the last couple of weeks about how this current pandemic is impacting them and their workflow. For instance, last week I had an NFL agent on who's, you know, in his house, in his home office, negotiating tens of millions of dollars of contracts with his kids running around. And, you know, it's just a different dynamic. I'm recording this in my home studio instead of my normal studio. You're in New York, which is one of the hot spots for this pandemic. Give us a sense of, you know, how long have you been inside and how has this changed your workflow? How are you communicating with your team and doing your job? Well, it, uh, for me, it has been a, a balance of my fiance and I are sharing a one bedroom apartment in New York City. We haven't been outside in 10 days. Wow. You know, uh, um, and that's just to protect ourselves and also to, to follow the rules. I and mean, it's important for folks to know that the spread is real and especially in New York City. So 10 days inside and, and our entire team is working remotely at Open Doors. We've got uh, nearly 40 employees across the country. Uh, majority of which are headquarters in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, but everyone's working from home, doing a lot of Zoom calls. Uh, we are a technology company, so we haven't had to learn new tools. I know there's a lot of those that have to learn how to use these Zoom and, and uh, you know Skype or Microsoft Teams or Slack, whatever it is. Uh, but for us, the, the Zoom experience does well. Uh, you, you miss some of those interactions. We're doing a, a Zoom happy hour uh, tomorrow afternoon, hmm. uh, which is all the rage these days. So uh, everyone sits around and grabs a drink from the fridge and, and we have uh, an open conversation about whatever you want uh, as a team. So uh, customers are in the sports world. Our, our customers are trying to weather the storm and we're trying to help them do that. So wherever we can be a resource to our partners, we're having those conversations. 
uh, delaying things where we need to or pick it, you know, promising to pick up later um, and different new partnerships. Um, again, everyone's working together to figure this out. Internally, our team is, is doing a good job of handling it. And the industry as a whole is going to recover. I think we're going to be better on the other side of it, more innovative um, and more connected in different ways than we were before. Uh, so trying to find the positives and, and the situation for sure. Well, stay safe. Uh, I love all that you're doing. Blake Lawrence, co-founder and CEO of Open Doors. You can find him on Twitter at Blake underscore Lawrence. And Open Doors is at Open Doors, open and then D-O-R-S-E. Blake, thanks for all your partnership. Uh, continued success to you and be safe. All right, Brian. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Open Doors helps athletes share content on social. Founded in 2012 by two former Nebraska football players, Open Doors has become the world's leading athlete marketing platform. More than 6,000 athletes around the world use Open Doors to receive content from partners and publish to their personal social channels like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all with one click. Open Doors makes it easier than ever before for brands, including sponsors and licensees and properties, to push approved content through the players' social channels. Leading sports organizations like the PGA Tour, NFL Players Association, Major League Baseball Players Association, the LPGA, and dozens of professional and collegiate sports teams use the platform to send video highlights, photos, GIFs, and more to athletes. The publishing process is very easy and convenient. Once registered, athletes receive a text message when their team, league, or brand partner has content for them to share on social media. The athlete simply reviews the content and hits approve. Open Doors does the rest. If you're an athlete, start using Open Doors as a tool today to build your personal brand and maximize your value on social media. If you're a brand trying to connect with athletes who you thought you'd never be able to gain access to on your own, Open Doors is your solution. Open Doors makes athletes more accessible to the people who support them. Visit opendoors.com or follow them on social media at Open Doors. My guest is Veda Manager. He is the president and CEO of Manager Global Consulting Group. You can find him online at managerglobalconsulting.com. He's on Twitter at Veda Manager. He's a former member of the corporate leadership team at Nike. That's where we got to know each other when I was a consultant for Nike for several years. He's one of the foremost corporate issues strategists in the world. He's also a corporate board director, including he's on the board of uh, directors for Valvoline. Veda and I have known each other for a long time. So with all that's going on in the world right now, a lot of crisis PR, a lot of people needing strategies, I thought it would be great to bring him on. Veda, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Great, Brian. Uh, trying to figure out this new normal like everyone else is. It's a uh, unprecedented period. Yeah, it really is. We saw today uh, the IOC come out and say that they're going to try and figure things out in the next four weeks as to whether or not to postpone the Olympics. We've seen the NFL and the NBA and Major League Baseball and the Masters and really everyone in sports have to shut down. And like you said, we're in an unprecedented time. So, you know, I think a lot of people are scratching their heads and, and putting on their thinking caps and looking for strategies right now. No, absolutely. Uh, I don't think that we've seen a time where sports, which has usually been our relief valve from the rest of society or 
other traumatic events that's happened in our history. Uh, I don't think we've seen a shutdown like this since probably. And in fact, I was cleaning out using some of this time of self-isolation to clean out some old files and things like that. And I just happened to, I don't know if it was providential or not, happened to run into my September 24th, 2001 Sports Illustrated cover in which uh, has a flag draped over a stadium seat that says the week that sports stood still. Right. And uh, so Sports Mrs. Journal uh, recently as well, their headline was the uncertain future of sports with a uh, banner of the NBA tonight's game has been postponed, as you, as you just described, uh, just about all the sports are silent. So it is a, it's a very different period and uh, obviously health and safety are foremost concerns and what we're seeing out there, but, uh, but th- this is a very, for our topic today of sports, very uncertain time, both revenue-wise, uh, health of players, health of front offices, and uh, time to figure some things out. Yeah, there's so many layers to this. And the other thing is with 9-11 and, you know, some of the other things that we've encountered in the past, there seemed to be at least a time frame that you could deal with. With this, there's no date that we can look at and say, well, it's going to be over by May 1st or August 1st or November 1st. We just have no idea how long we're going to be in isolation and, you know, no events going on. So that's, that uncertainty is really causing a lot of problems. No, a- absolutely. And I think that's what in your introduction and in discussing the IOC is what's troubling them. They had a set schedule. Obviously, we know the Olympics is the greatest quadrennial sports events that we all look forward to every four years and the winter every uh, every other year after that. So it is a troubling period, and I suspect that is why they're taking this time over the next four weeks to really kind of drill down. But if you think about it, that's actually one of the first interesting aspects of managing through a crisis like this for if you're a front office or a corporate leader is to listen to what your stakeholders are saying. USA Track and Field, as well as UAC Swimming, as well as some of the other governing bodies in sports have already called for the Olympics to be postponed. There have been a number of other analysis articles as well that have talked about get ready for the 2021 Olympics rather than 2020. So in a way, the IOC is in, in, in a little bit behind the curve, but in a way, they're also probably taking a deeper time to talk to athletes, talk to shareholders, talk to stakeholders, sponsors as well, and figure out if there is a game plan for transitioning this to 2021. They're really the only thing that I can think of for the foreseeable future that hasn't postponed or canceled. Does that hurt them? Do they look like they're sticking out like a sore thumb and insensitive to this? Well, I think right now there are so many other concerns that people are worried about. I think it's almost in many ways, as we say, uh, in, in investing, sometimes the market already expects certain developments or things to happen. So I think it's already baked in that I don't think there's very few people that expect that the Olympics are going to happen uh, July 24th, uh, opening ceremony or roughly when that was supposed to take place. So I, I think there's already some sense of that this is a foregone conclusion. Uh, obviously, I think they want to do their diligence. They want to try to figure out when they have their next announcement, uh, which I think no one will be surprised at that they will say there will be a, a deferral. I would be very surprised if that's indeed the case. I think they want to also be able to tell people with some degree of confidence what is the next step, when will we take a look at this. Obviously, as you indicated, there is a lot of uncertainty around this, but I think by pushing it out to 2021, maybe looking at that July uh, and looking at the rest of the sports calendar, they buy themselves some time and and sort of reclaim some credibility here. It's interesting, Veda. I'm on the press release list for all the leagues. So I get, you know, Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NFL, NHL, everyone, when they send out their statements, I get those. But then I'm also getting 
emails from Alaska Airlines. I'm an MVP or Marriott. I'm with Bonvoy. So, you know, there's my, my personal emails that I'm getting too. And it's very interesting to me to read the tone of the emails, the direction of the emails. Some people are directing you to customer service. Some people are just saying, you know, we're thinking about you during this time. But yeah, there's a wide variety of how people have reached out to their audiences during this time. Yeah, absolutely. I think there is, uh, again, some people and the smarter organizations and companies already had at least some game plan for such business interruptions. Obviously, we've never seen anything like this, but they already had some uh, idea. But I think the best thing to do in these kind of situations is you know your company, you know your entity, you know your organization, you know your sports team. Obviously, stay consistent with the values and the tone that you already communicate in time to some degree of normalcy, and I think that will help guide any of the communications that you have to any of your stakeholder audience, whether it's your athletes, whether it's your season ticket holders, whether it's the sponsors of your of your franchise or club. So staying true to that tone, and and it's important to communicate. I think this is not a time to be silent or to look as if you are in fear or not understanding what's going on or not empathetic with what your key stakeholders are feeling as well. Yeah, it's interesting. There are those companies that have not really acknowledged the current climate, and they have stayed silent, and I agree with you. I think that's a mistake. Oh, I agree. And just as I'm still shocked in this day and age with as many things as we've seen, terrorism, pandemics, uh, business interruption, earthquakes, tornadoes, what have you, that there's still about 10 to 15 percent of publicly traded companies out there that don't still have a crisis plan, Brian, which is unfathomable and actually is a risk to not only your investors, but also your corporate reputation or your sports streams reputation. Let's hope that uh, with the engagement that we've had over the years with our various sports counterparts and chief communication officers and front offices that none of our sports franchises are in that position. Yeah, some people who listen to this know that I'm the founder and CEO of the Sports PR Summit. We try and bring those stakeholders from across the sports world together at our events every year. And, you know, one of the things we've talked about, Veda, is scenario planning. And like you said, crisis strategy. And it is amazing to me, the people who don't plan for it. But right now, you know, I'm not sure that anyone planned for a pandemic. I think there's a lot of things that might have been top five on that list. I don't know if pandemic was one of them, but I still think that people today can scenario plan. And, you know, what does it look like if we're out for a month? What does it look like if we're out for three months? What does it look like if we're out for a year? I think you need to get together with your stakeholders and really figure out what that looks like and, and do some hypotheticals. Would you agree? Yeah, I would certainly agree. And I, and I would also say that, uh, again, a pandemic of this magnitude, I think it's a question of degree and magnitude, Brian, that I think it's not unfathomable. Of course, we've had mirrors. We had SARS. We had other sorts of more contained reason. We had Ebola. So those were more regional and contained. They did have some degrees of contagion. So there should be some playbook, but that was also a signal that this was not an unfathomable scenario, that those things do mutate. But I, again, I would agree with you that no one would think that it would have the capacity to shut down business, force work-at-home orders, shut down whole counties like L.A. County, which is a massive number of people, and have the kind of economic uh, disruption that it's having right now, as well as health disruption, and of course, in in certain countries like Italy and Iran and others, uh, really caused a, a massive amount of loss of life. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking at some people who I think are doing 
excellent jobs right now when it comes to communicating, whether that be via interviews, whether it's press conferences, whether it's on social media. Uh, one person who really has stepped forward, I think, is Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. And if you follow him on social media, he's really offering some tangible solutions and trying to connect people within his network to people who can get more masks made. Or he has a bourbon distillery that's making hand sanitizer. And, you know, I, I'm watching Adam Silver and the NBA really led the shutdown of sports Veda. They were the first ones who said, you know what, we're suspending our season. And then everyone else kind of followed suit. And then the last person I'll put in the list is Governor Cuomo in New York. I think he's done a really good job with his daily briefings and, you know, uh, updating New Yorkers and being firm when he needs to. In some cases, people aren't staying at home and, and he's needed to be firm. But I think he's struck the right tone while he's been doing it. Yeah, I would certainly agree with all everything you just said, Brian, that uh, it's clearly you've seen some standouts in terms of both communication as well as direct action. Uh, and uh, certainly Cuban certainly stands out in that manner. And Governor Cuomo has almost uh, been on uh, almost hour to hour back to back on different news networks. And, uh, and then the important data he's communicated about what he's hearing from medical professionals, and that's been very important, letting the medical professionals kind of lead, and he's clearly attributing the advice and the counsel he's given to New Yorkers and to businesses from the medical professionals and public safety professionals. So, you know, thank goodness that, that is the authority in which he's operating from. But, uh, but yes, I, uh, you're always going to have individuals like this who are going to rise to the occasion, have greater credibility, but also uh, combine some action with that and have the ability to, for example, as you described, uh, convert their their manufacturing processes to fit a public need. In fact, I've been on the phone almost back-to-back every day since this is broken with uh, not only existing clients, but other boards and other clients who are looking for ways to not only uh, meet their corporate need and to protect their own companies, but also what corporate responsibility or so corporate social responsibility means. Can they need it to spend their time? Uh, again, it's almost like a wartime mentality is that, look, you convert your factories to making steel or ammunition or, or meeting other needs right now, and uh, we are all in this together. That is, if there's any hashtag that should be emerging out there for the social media teams out there is we should be all in this together. Yeah, I totally agree. The other mistake that some companies make is they really focus on their external strategy but they don't spend as much time on their internal strategy with their employees. And lots of employees right now are wondering what's going on. What's my status? Am I going to keep my job? Am I going to get paid? I think the internal communications is also really important right now. Would you agree? I would certainly agree with that. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the firms that I serve on the International Advisory Council for, APCO, uh, that was actually called out uh, in terms of some of their global survey work. And you know, there's a couple of different uh, firms and entities that have great credibility and across several industries, whether it's sports or manufacturing or otherwise, that have done some survey work that we can get into later. But that was actually one of the things that the APCO survey that just stepped out at me was the fact that they were looking for advice. They were looking if they were required to come into the workplace, they were looking for actually tools such as gloves, masks, hand sanitizers, and things like that. Those were the expectations they were expecting their employers to meet. Uh, also, work-from-home policies, but they did want to hear from their employers. And I have to say the number of employers have stepped up on that because, as we know, whether in normal times, your employees or your associates, as some even call them, 
are your frontline ambassadors. They're the ones to give your customers comfort, your sales agents uh, give the your customers that carry your products comfort. So they have to feel as if they understand the situation and what's going on, but they also have to feel that their organizations uh, have their best interests at heart. Well, and speaking of internal employees, it's not just executives. It's the athletes too, right? They want to know what's going on. They want to know – you know, in the NBA's case, there's going to be paychecks on April 1st, but they don't know if there's going to be a paycheck on April 15th. So whether it's the teams communicating with the athletes or the unions communicating with the athletes, that's also important too, especially Veda, since these athletes have such enormous social media platforms, they could put out one post and, and it's going to reach the masses. Oh, absolutely. And some of them, obviously, as we've seen in the NBA and as well as the NHL, have tested positive for COVID-19 coronavirus. So they, it is clearly in their vital interest to be sure that uh, they are getting the right communications, they are getting the right guidance from their leagues and from their unions about how to keep themselves safe, uh, to ensure that they're getting the message about stay at home, shelter in place, protect their families. Uh, another uh, medical observation that we're seeing out of this is that should someone contract it, there are obviously different degrees of impacts for those athletes. So if you've got a basketball player or any professional athlete uh, performing at a high level, uh, you don't want diminished lung capacity because you were incapacitated for a while or you had this medical condition that reduced your lung capacity by a certain amount. So clearly uh, this is a, an, an issue of vital interest to professional sports, to associates, uh, to be sure that these individuals come out on the other side of this uh, as minimally impacted as possible. You mentioned a couple minutes ago uh, a survey that was done recently uh, amongst senior PR people. What did that survey, what were some of the results or highlights of that survey? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that at times like this, everyone's looking for everyone else for benchmarks. And I'm, again, fortunate to have lots of relationships out there, uh, both in the communications world and in the board world, um, uh, sitting on corporate boards. But the one uh, one survey that really struck out to me uh, as being very uh, both comprehensive and useful was a, a global online survey of about 300 communications executives and senior leaders that was taken within the last week or so to determine how their company and communication function are responding to coronavirus. And it was conducted by the Institute for Public Relations, uh, which is a, a great group of, of senior leaders or chief communications officers, again, across industries, whether you're talking about uh, sports or manufacturing or otherwise. And it was also done by Peppercom, which is a firm run out of New York by uh, Steve Cody, who's a friend and someone I actually served with uh, in advising on the West Point boards, advising them both on athletics as well as on their brand management as a both a military institution as well as an education institution. And, and Brian, about five themes kind of emerged uh, when the question was asked about what communications executives are doing above and beyond the standard procedures that might be helpful for others. And the first theme was increase in internal communication resources. And we just talked about mm -hmm. that. Uh, the use of intranets, the use of microsites, uh, the use of company open hotlines. Some companies are also going to live feeds of updates from health authorities and medical experts. Some are developing uh, and opting for mobile apps because obviously smartphones and the capacity for smartphones are is that much more ubiquitous now uh, globally uh, at this stage. As you know, many societies even leaped over landlines and have gone straight to online commerce right through their smartphones. So those kind of apps are very, very important regardless of where you are in the, in the world. So the first theme that has emerged is increase in internal communication, and we've talked about that already. 
The second theme is increasing communications and steps around sanitation procedures, and we somewhat touched on that. So companies are adding more sanitation stations and supplies in the workplace if they're indeed still in their workplaces. And there are some critical employee needs and and some critical essential functions where people are still at work. Some of the sports franchises as well, even uh, for those that are shutting down operations or vastly scaled back operations, this is still a good practice for them. Again, washing your hands, sanitation stations, minimizing touch, uh, gloves, things like that. So all these things are what uh, people are seeing and uh, an increasing amount in the workplace. And executives are also noting the importance of communication, uh, even just using old-fashioned blocking and tackling, such as posters for those that are still there, about the importance of these practices. Uh, they're also uh, moving desks away from each other to practice what the recommendations are in terms of social distancing. So even simple blocking and tackling moves of that nature of making sure there's sufficient distance, banning open water containers, and encouraging food to be covered. All these things we might not think about, and even avoiding buffets uh, anymore, uh, kind of going to close food and those kind of procedures. So again, that second theme being increasing communications and steps around sanitation. The third one uh, that, that that seemed to emerge in this uh, survey of 300 leaders is the option to work remotely and move operations online. Now, again, uh, I know a lot of sports teams have already employed or deployed this this tactic. Uh, work from home policies are very important. Uh, the use of things like Zoom and Microsoft Teams. Uh, uh, work from home toolkits are important in following what others are doing in this in regard. It's helpful. Uh, usually these are, are kind of averaging out uh, in 14 mandatory day distance work and uh, work without contact between the groups. For frontline workers, they've closed the front office, keeping only back office tasks uh, available. And, uh, and one respondent said they were even taking the leadership role within their local community, insisting that meetings with vendors and partner organizations and, and things like that be handled um, uh, rather uh, on the web rather than face-to-face. Um, the fourth theme that's sort of emerging, interestingly out there, is travel and meeting restrictions. Now, again, for sports teams, your scout shouldn't be out there going to, if any basketball tournaments are taking place or even hitting playgrounds, uh, that would not be a wise thing right now, uh, again, with the stay-at-home advisement that's been given by the medical professionals uh, out there. So travel restrictions are clearly in place. I've been grounded in terms of my board meetings. We're moving everything. Had a three-hour board meeting yesterday, all virtually, by Microsoft Teams. Uh, restricting the number of people that are together, canceling those meetings, uh, again, a good practice at this particular stage. Uh, the fifth and last theme, uh, before we resume the discussion, are temperature screenings, which is very interesting, that a few companies have noted, uh, and this is something certainly doable in front offices if your front office is still open, even on a skeletal basis. There are a number of mobile uh, screening operations and drive-through screening operations that have been taking place. Some are doing uh, on-site temperature screenings uh, where possible. Obviously, I know even the NBA has uh, had some scrutiny about how their players are getting tested so quickly. Obviously, they already have team doctors and physicians and means to do that, uh, but uh, a lot of workplaces don't as of yet, but to the extent that they can get some of these tests up and running and some of these trials are happening and FDA approvals taking place for for such a screening, uh, those kinds of things are, are taking place. Uh, one respondent even indicated they were using thermal cameras and scanners to detect sickness, such as fevers, and isolating those individuals quickly so they don't become super spreaders. So that fifth theme, again, temperature screenings is kind of taking place. So that's kind of what you're seeing out there in terms of the landscape and how people are responding. I think there was nothing there I didn't uh, I disagreed with, uh, and I'm sure there are even some other steps, uh, even more innovative, that are taking place uh, both in the sports landscape 
in the corporate landscape. Yeah, those are all good. I agree with all of them too. I would say some of them, you know, we've already moved past those, right? We're, we're our, we're, we're all grounded. We're all staying at home. We're working at home. When you look ahead, again, I talked earlier in our conversation about scenario planning. And this is such a broad question. So I don't know if there's a, a specific thing you want to dig in on, whether it's the Olympics or, uh, you know, something else, but, when you're scenario planning, I know one of the things I always try and do with our clients with everything is on the record is what's the worst thing that can happen? You plan for it. You hope you never need it. Um, when I was with the Trailblazers and we ran the arena, you know what? We had protocol if there was an active shooter. We had protocol if there was a terrorist threat. We had protocol for really bad things and we hope we never needed them and we didn't, thank God, but you still had the scenario plan for those things. So you know, what do you see as the next wave of things that we should be planning for? Well, it's a great question. And I think, again, uh, we're in kind of unprecedented category, uh, territory here. But I think one of the, a couple of things I, I would say to that. One is don't assume that there is going to be a quick resumption to normalcy, that we might get back to within 60 to 90 days some degree of normalcy. But I think uh, anyone's scenario planning, particularly now that the NFL is uh, kind of on tap to come back as we get into the fall months, et cetera, or even uh, the, the spring camps opening up, football camps, whether you're talking collegiate uh, or, or pro, um, is to also build in your scenario planning a reoccurrence uh, scenario if things uh, toward the winter begin to resume and infections begin to break out again. Uh, and whether or not uh, financially franchises, whether you're talking about minor leagues or pro franchises, et cetera, have enough wherewithal, cash on hand, and, and other things to be able to weather that and to survive that, but also what that means to, again, revenue such as everything from your parking revenues, your parking operators to people operate the stadiums to your athletes and your front office teams. So don't assume that we get it all clear and things return back to normal, build into your scenario plan that could happen. I think another thing, too, is, and I just saw this today with the Washington NFL franchise, the, the Redskins, is that I noticed that uh, there was going to be uh, use and planning of some sports facilities, at least in their case, uh, to be uh, testing facilities. I don't know whether yet those are going to just be the parking lots themselves or whether it's going to be the stadiums themselves, but as we've seen in previous uh, disasters, uh, Hurricane Katrina coming to mind, for example, right. in New Orleans, uh, the, the dome was used as a sheltering facility in that particular instance. So figuring out ways if your sports facility as a community service, particularly if you're taxpayer funded out there, uh, you might be asked to do this regardless and think about this in your stereo planning as to whether or not if we do run out of space in hospitals and medical facilities, whether you have conversion capacity and, uh, and willingness and ability to have that sports facility that can be scrubbed and cleaned later as a temporary facility to help out your sports base, your fan base, as well as your season ticket holders. So those are the, some of the things that come to mind right away. I'm sure there will be other things through the group and collective innovation of everyone else out there that'll, that will emerge. But uh, I, this, we're in for a period here. Uh, of very interesting slowdown sponsorships. Um, uh, there's a lot of pinup sponsorship out there that had planned to go for the Olympics and were, were activations that were planned uh, as you got into uh, NBA playoffs and NBA finals. March like Madness. That, that going to happen. So it's going to be an interesting period. And figuring out all those aspects of things, uh, it's going to be uh, very tough for chief marketing officers and front offices as we, as we go forward. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. March Madness alone, I think of, you know, I'm watching some of the old games on CBS this weekend and just thinking of all of the revenue that is being lost there and also how many sponsors, you know, that's one of the chief places that they activate and, and now it's not available. Uh, let me ask you this. I, I've been talking with some of my friends. I think we're in for a hard reset after this. And what I mean by that is after 9-11, we had a hard reset on security at airports and just some of our other ways of life, things that we learned from 9-11. And I feel like with this, like you mentioned earlier, uh, open containers, whether it's water and how food is handled and just more people working remotely, maybe not as much travel. Uh, things like Zoom being utilized more. I feel like there's going to be a hard reset on a number of different ways that people do business after that and that people should start thinking about those things now because coming out of this VEDA, there's going to be people that have lost a lot of money and they're not going to be able to travel people like they did before and they're going to have to look at ways to be more economic. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, you would be wise as a front office, a communications executive, a PR executive to help your organization to think about uh, some of those uh, pending as well as innovative ways that are going to change the dynamic. Uh, George, you described a hard reset in the sports world and in other organizations. I think, uh, you know, one of the things that we'd be remiss in not talking about here before we conclude is the fact that this is the time, if there's any time, that communications, expertise, and the ability to communicate with all these stakeholders, and not just for career opportunism, but it is a needed as a vital service. One of the things I've always prided myself on in this business, and I think has been a great enhancer uh, to my professional career in, in transitioning from uh, communications to investment banking, now into corporate boardrooms, is the fact that I've always had the, the operating principle that I don't defend what I don't can't help to define, meaning that if I'm not around that table as decisions are being made, don't ask me to go out in front of a podium and try to explain hmm. uh, what that decision is and what the background of that decision is. I've seen that happen way too many times for people. They look foolish. They don't have the credibility. And eventually, sometimes uh, things aren't quite aligned uh, with what you're saying and what the front office is saying or otherwise. So this is the time for communications people to really show the importance of communications, the strategies that can be employed, both technological strategies, social media strategies, but also just just important, clear, direct, constant communication, having a cadence for when you're communicating to these key audiences. Uh, the communications has never been more important than it is now. No, I totally agree with everything you just said, and I would even focus in a little more on the social media. I think there are some people that are doing a brilliant job of communicating with their audiences via social media, but then there's also people who have been silent on, on social media. And I kind of scratch my head with that. So, you know, I don't know if you have any tips with, uh, you know, cadence on social media or tone on social media, but I think it's important that as we talked earlier in the conversation, at least people acknowledge the fact that we're in a different climate and that they're here for their customer. You know, there's nothing more important this time than empathy. Uh, you're going to have, again, fans, uh, even if they never bought a, a single ticket or a season ticket to your your sports franchise, uh, you, they are a fan base that supports uh, both in spirit as well as either through taxpayer support 
uh, your your entities. So you need to really have something to say to those individuals that, again, if it's nothing more than just the simple hashtag, as we described earlier, we're all in this together, that gives people then something to, some connective tissue to bind around. Uh, and I think that people are remiss and missing a great opportunity if they don't show that level of empathy toward both in the local communities that they're in as well as nationally. Uh, you have fans. Uh, there's, a, there's a reason why they say uh, Cowboys Nation or Trailblazers Nation or Suns Nation. It's because they have fans all over the world. Right. So we'll end on this. Uh, with a lot of people being in isolation, I have seen some of the funniest videos I've ever seen on social media, whether it was, you know, Neil Diamond this morning, uh, changing the words to Sweet Caroline and, you know, turning it into a song about washing your hands <laughs> uh, instead of holding hands, washing hands. Or, you know, I've seen athletes like Steph Curry doing trick shots, golf trick shots from his living room. Um, you know, people like LeBron James have done some 45 minute Instagram live interviews. So we're getting to know them, but it's just interesting. We've seen concerts, John Legend, uh, and, uh, the guy from Coldplay, whose name I can't remember right now, uh, did a concert separately, but it's interesting because we're all kind of getting some cabin fever. So people are, are turning to social media to display either their thoughts or their creativity. And, and I think that's been a recipe for good things in this time. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I certainly agree that it's a time to not lose your, sense of humor. Of course, there's appropriate tone in a right. time like this, yeah. uh, remembering that some people are losing their lives and uh, families are affected. Uh, yeah, you can't help but feel for the families have been featured quite a bit on the news where you had four of their seven members uh, I saw that. Uh, pass away or, or, or some subset of that family. Uh, and so, but it's important that people that have large followings, such as the ones you just described, I, I guess I assume, uh, including uh, Chris Martin and Coldplay, I assume that's who it was. That's, yes. Uh, I couldn't remember uh, Chris uh, Martin's Erica, name. Erica Badu uh, doing concerts, but it, it really does give people, I think, a lift, particularly if they're in home. But on the other hand, uh, you've got to consider that businesses such as you know, Netflix and streaming uh, platforms are needing to do things such as uh, there is such now so much more demand for streaming and bandwidth out there. Uh, don't expect to have uh, maybe total HD right now, or they're slowing down their streaming speeds and things like that. They already implemented that in Europe, and I would suspect uh, for those that uh, sell packages of streaming sports and things like that, that might be a new normal as well that you'll have to uh, prepare for in, in terms of our earlier conversation. Uh, if more people are at home um, and, and this goes on a while, the, there could be some bandwidth concerns. So uh, we're looking at all those things right now. And again, as a sports executive, you'd be smart to look at those things too. Well, and even Hollywood, look at what they've done in the last week or so where they've taken some of the first-run movies that were going to be released in the movie theater. But because no one can go to the movie theater, they've sent them straight to iTunes and streaming services so you can watch them at home. So, you know, is that something that's going to change going forward in the future where people have the option to consume a first-run movie at home? So lots of things are changing. Again, I think there's going to be a hard reset on some things coming out of this. But... You know, I know you're working with lots of your clients right now to help them navigate through uh, all that's going on. Veda Manager, the president and CEO of Manager Global Consulting Group. Again, you can find him online at managerglobalconsulting.com. And he is a good follow on Twitter at Veda Manager. Veda, stay safe and thanks so much for taking the time to join me. I, I love your expertise. 
Brian, it's always great to be with you. Uh, look forward to seeing you in person again sometime, uh, given our common Phoenix uh, connection yes. as well as our Portland connection, but uh, our, our love and service to the sports industry. So you stay safe as well. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. I'll be right back. Nearly 20 years ago, Boingo dreamed of a world where people could connect to the wireless internet anywhere with any device. Today, that dream is reality, and Boingo has been at the forefront. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most. Boingo keeps people connected to the people and things they love with next-generation networks built for the 5G era. They are the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., and they work with sports teams across the NFL, NBA, MLS, NCAA, and more. From 5G and CBRS to DAS and Wi-Fi, Boingo is a trusted partner for staying connected now and in the future. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Connectivity is more important than ever, and you can learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. One word you wouldn't typically associate with a dress shirt is comfort. However, the folks over at Mizzen in Maine are changing this. Their shirts are incredibly comfortable. Mizzen in Maine makes dress shirts for men that fixes everything that's ever been wrong with shirts for so long. Their shirts breathe, stretch, and wick away moisture. It's like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for travel. They've taken the hassle out of looking great through wrinkle resistance and the ability to wash your shirts at home. No more last-minute ironing. No more after-work trips to the dry cleaner. It's a shirt that's worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. And guess what? Mizzen in Maine now is making pants at long last. The Mizzen in Maine performance chino is here. Everything consumers love about the dress shirts, packed into new pants. Business casual just got comfortable. I love my Mizzen in Maine pants. It has the same breathability, superior comfort, no pilling. It's awesome. For travel, I don't have to worry about my pants being wrinkled when I take them out of my suitcase, just like my dress shirts. Now I'm covered. I've got the pullover. I've got the dress shirts. I've got the new pants. Go to MizzenAndMain.com. Use the promo code SBR. Try out their new pants. I promise you'll love them. That's MizzenAndMain.com. Code SBR.